we sang uh, God of Grace and God of Glory as a hymn. And, uh, and, and he said, we're doing it as an anthem this week. I said, well, there must be something God wants me to hear out of that hymn then. Because uh, that, it's such a, one of my favorite uh, hymns in our hymnal is that song, God of Grace and God of Glory. And so uh, I hope you enjoyed that beautiful arrangement by our choir this morning. Our, um, our scripture today is going to be from the book of Genesis. We're going to be reading from Genesis chapter 22. We'll be reading verses 1 through 19 of Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Morah. And there you will offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show, shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. As it said to, the de- to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, Be brave. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I indeed will bless you, and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on its seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of their enemies. And by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth gain blessing for themselves, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and went, at, went together to Beersheba. And there Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Goodness, I love scripture. I love the Bible so much. I, my Sunday school class this morning, we were talking about the Bible. And I was talking about my deep love of the Bible and talking about how, how the first Bible I ever really read, because you know when you're a kid, you get, um, you get the Bible when you're confirmed, and you get the Bible when you're born, and you might get a Bible at a certain point in your life. We get all these sentimental Bibles. But the first Bible in my life that I ever truly read was an old NIV student Bible that I got when I was a senior in high school. And that was the first Bible that I ever really highlighted stuff in and circled stuff and wrote things off to the side. And I just, I just love the Bible. The Bible is such a wonderful and beautiful gift that God has given to us. I, I, I truly love Scripture so much. Um, I have a friend of mine who uh, I got to know when I was working my first job out of 
college, and he was in seminary down here, and, and, and he was from up north, so I, love, I introduced him to things that we love here, like Southern, Southern Hibachi, the Waffle House, you know, I introduced him to all these things, and I'll never forget, Jason made this joke one day, he said, you know, Andy, he said, every church says they're founded upon the Bible. He said, show me a church that's, that won't say that it's founded upon the Bible. Every church says they're founded upon the Bible, yet every church is different. Every church has different perspectives and theologies and beliefs on different parts of Scripture, he said. So, but it, yet every church says they're founded upon the Bible. He said, show me the Bible. Show me the church that says we're founded upon a mixture of the Bible and Fleetwood Mac lyrics. You know, there's, there's no church that says that. We're all founded upon the Bible. But yet... Every church is going to have some different perspectives. Every denomination is going to have some different perspectives, some different views, some different beliefs. Why is that? Because the Bible, the Bible can be a challenge to understand. It can be difficult to understand. There's different translations and different things. And, and one of the things that I like to do as a pastor is I like to Make the Bible as best I can, not intimidating to you. So you're not afraid of it. Sometimes we approach the Bible like people who don't know computers approach computers. You're afraid you're going to break it. Like I tell folks all the times when they fool with the computer, you're not going to be able to break it. I promise you. You're not going to be able to break the Bible. I promise you. The more we use it and read it and pray about it, the more we understand it. But the Bible is full of so many stories and so many things. In the, in the Jewish Orthodox tradition, historically, children were not allowed to read the Song of Solomon until they were 13 years old. Because if you're unfamiliar with the Song of Solomon, it talks about stuff. And I'll leave it there and let you go read. I love the Bible. So how do we interpret it? How do we get to these places? Well, I want to give you, this summer, in, in sermon, in worship, we're going to be talking about troublesome Bible passages. So today are difficult passages to understand. Today is a great example. We're going to talk about Abraham and Isaac in just one second. And that's a difficult passage for us to understand and for us to make sense of. So, so throughout the summer, we're going to be talking about passages like this one. But as we talk about that, I want to give you a, a few initial kind of helpful tools to help to understand how to read the Bible, particularly sometimes challenging passages like this. John Wesley had talked about what he called a simple reading of Scripture. That meant that he believed that the, the most likely interpretation of a text was the simple understanding of what was in front of you on the page. That what the Bible simply said typically is the best place to start with a biblical understanding is what does it actually say in front of you? I love what the book of discipline says about the scriptures. It says, the Bible contains everything needful for salvation and everything needful for salvation is made plain within. I love that so much. Let me repeat that again. The Bible contains everything needful for salvation, and everything needful for salvation is made plain within. What does that mean? It means that if it is so important, if it's so important that your salvation rests upon it, it's going to be plain to understand within Scripture. 
If it's so important that your eternal security, if it's so important that your walk with God rests upon it, God's going to make it plain in Scripture. That means a correct understanding of the book of Revelation is not required for salvation. Thank the Lord. Because I'm not sure I'm getting in if so. God is not playing hide and seek with his will, y'all. Okay? God is not playing hide and seek with his will. The Bible says, knock and the door shall be opened. Seek and you shall find. God is not using scripture to try to trip you up. God is not going to hide his blessings from you in scripture. So we read and we know that if it's so important that our salvation rests upon it, it's going to be easy to understand or plain to understand in the scripture. But we know, like with Genesis, there are passages that are more difficult. So what do we do with that? What do we do with the challenging passages, the ones that don't always make sense? Well, here's, here's some helpful tools for how, how to do that. One of the most helpful ways to interpret scripture, particularly troublesome passages, is you interpret the passages that you don't understand through the lenses of what you do understand. I, I was working on something the other day in our house, and I didn't have my glasses on. And I was trying to thread this little needle almost, and I called to one of the kids, and said, hey, guys, somebody bring my glasses. I can't see. I had to put my glasses on, have my lens on, to probably see what was in front of me. We all approach Scripture wearing certain lenses. By the way, that's where different churches get their perspectives from. That's where different interpretations come from because we all read Scripture with different lenses. That's not bad. That's not a bad thing at all. But it does help us to understand we can come up with different perspectives. So, for instance, I read all the Bible through the lenses of John 3.16. John 3.16 is the lens that I read the Bible through. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would not perish but have eternal life. That's how, that's the lens that I interpret all the Bible through. That God loves the world so much that he gave us Jesus to save us and whoever believes can be saved. That means God loves all the world. That means he loves the folks we love and he loves the folks we don't love. He loves the folks we agree with and the folks we don't agree with. Christ died for the world. Christ died for everyone, for God so loved the world. I look at everything through that. That's not just my lens for scripture. That's my lens for life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Who sure would believe? So God loves everybody. But he also wants us to choose because God gives us free will. He's not going to make you do anything. He's not going to force you into a relationship with him. If you want to reject Jesus, he will let you. He's not going to chase you down. The rich young ruler walks sadly away. He'll, he'll let you make a choice. Now, he's going to always be there because he always loves you. And if you take one step towards him, he'll come running. But I believe in free will because he lets us choose. So that's the lens I look at the Bible through. 
So much of a, so many of our divisions within denominations come from the fact that we read Scripture through different lenses. That's where a lot of it comes down to. Likewise, one, so, so one helpful tool is to, is to interpret the difficult passages through the passages that you do understand. Another thing that's helpful to interpret Scripture is to wear your theological glasses. What does that mean? I'm a Methodist. I like John Wesley. So if I'm studying the Bible and I've got a passage that I don't quite understand or doesn't make sense to me, I'm a lot of times I may say, well, what did John Wesley say about this? Let me go read that. I'm, a, I'm an evangelical Wesleyan Armenian, what I am theologically. So I'm going to return to those lenses. I'm going to say, well, what did John Wesley say about this? Or what did, or what did C.S. Lewis say about this? Or what, or what did somebody like that say about this? I'm going to return to that. So probably that means so someone who is Presbyterian may say, well, I'm going to say what John Calvin said about that. Cool. That's fine. I do not think that those individuals who have a different theological understanding of scriptural passages... I do not believe that they are not my brothers and sisters in Christ. I believe fully that they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. The body of Christ is big enough for different theological understanding of certain passages. My Baptist brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. My Presbyterian brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. My Catholic brothers and sisters are my brothers and sisters. I might not agree with them on everything. By the way, they don't agree with me on everything. That's okay. We all study Scripture through our own theological lenses. That's okay. And that then also comes to the last thing I think it's important, is to leave room for the movement of the Holy Spirit. One of, one of the great blessings of my life was going to Mississippi College, where I got to study under Harold Bryson. Harold Bryson was a... He taught most every Baptist pastor in Mississippi that's older than me because for years he taught at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And towards the end of Dr. Bryson's life, he, or teaching career rather, he taught at Mississippi College. And Dr. Bryson greatly influenced me. Now, one of the things Dr. Bryson taught me was something called the autonomy of the soul. You've got as much access to the Holy Spirit as I do. You've got as much access to the Holy Spirit as I do. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you in the same way the Holy Spirit speaks to me. God's going to speak to you. Give space when you read the Bible for the movement of the Holy Spirit. God's going to highlight and bring out different things when we read Scripture. My favorite part of being a preacher, I love preaching, but it's not preaching. I love pastoral care, but it's not pastoral care. The thing I do in my ministry that is the most fun, and that has grown me the most, and that I love the most is teaching Bible study. I love teaching Bible study because I learn from you. God speaking to you and through you has made me a better pastor and a better Christian. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that, that worked in the writing of Scripture, the same Holy Spirit that speaks to me, Friends, it's the same Holy Spirit that's going to speak to you as well. Always leave room for the movement of the Holy Spirit when you read Scripture. You're not reading the newspaper when you read this. You're not reading a blog. You're not reading ESPN. You're reading God's inspired and holy word. 
And the same Holy Spirit that inspired the writing of this text is the same Holy Spirit that will speak to you through it. Always leave room for the Spirit. So, what do we do with this passage we read today? What do we do with Genesis 22? Because this is a hard one, y'all. This is a hard one. One of the things that Scripture strictly prohibits, one of the things that Moses strictly recorded and wrote down on Mount Sinai was the Israelites do not sacrifice children. They do not do it. Their neighbors did it. They did not do child sacrifice. No, don't do it. Strictly prohibited. Yet Abraham today is told by God to sacrifice Isaac. Now, remember, Abraham did come before Moses. So the law had not yet been given. Just follow that away. So he he did not violate the Mosaic law because Moses hadn't come yet. But what do we do with this? What do we do with this passage here? One of my favorite people I read in college, one of my favorite writers, was a Dutch philosopher by the name of Soren Kierkegaard. Now, if you read in the Kierkegaard, I'm sorry. If you've not read Kierkegaard, let me tell you the best way to read Kierkegaard. Go to, go to um, Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever. Sneak in the back where the lumber is. It's going to be dangerous. Get your two-by-four and repeatedly hit yourself in the head. And then you'll pass out eventually. And that's reading Kierkegaard. That's basically what it's like. Kierkegaard would write and write and write and write. And you read it and you're like... What are you talking about? I mean, when Dr. Metters made us read him, I'm like, why are you doing, what do we do to you? Why are you making us read this? This is awful. You'd read and 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 read. And finally, you read something and you go, oh my gosh, that's the most amazing thing I've ever read in my entire life. And then you're done. And then it's back to drudgery. That's Kierkegaard. Well, Kierkegaard's famous, one of his famous books is a meditation upon this story. And here's this question. What are we to do with this? What are we to do with a God who called Abraham to sacrifice his son? What are we to make of this God? How are we to handle? How are we to approach a God? How are we to approach a God who called a man to sacrifice his only son? What do we do with that? How do we handle that God? How do we approach that God? And Kierkegaard's answer was this. We approach that God with fear and trembling. Because that God is not like us. That God is other than us. That God is different than us. And as much as I love talking about Jesus, because Jesus makes God approachable, because Jesus makes God one of us that we can approach and and understand and comprehend, we don't need to get too careful with that right there. We need to always remember that God is different that God is unpredictable, that God is other than we are, y'all. Because if you serve a God who never disagrees with you, if you serve a God who never disagrees with you, then you do not serve the God of Scripture. You serve a God of your own making. If you serve a God who does not disagree with you ever, then you serve a God not of Scripture. You serve a God of your own making. God is bigger than us. God is smarter than us. God is stronger than us. God is mightier than us. Scripture tells us that God's greatest weakness is greater than our greatest strength. 
Kierkegaard would tell us that Genesis 22 tells us that we serve a God that we don't understand. And I don't like that, y'all. I don't like this not understanding God business. I want to understand God. I want to know how God works. I want to know all the details. I want to know all these things because guess what, y'all? Guess what? If I can understand God, guess what I can, can do? I can control God. I want God domesticated like a house cat. We want a domesticated cat, not the lion of the tribe of Judah. Genesis 22 tells us that God is not a God to be trifled with, and God is not a God that we always understand. I love that, and I need to remember it. Because sometimes I'd rather God be... Sometimes I don't want God to get up in my business. I want to do what I want to do, and I want God to make me happy. Instead of what Scripture says, where God is not so much worried about my happiness as much as God is worried about my holiness. So, that's kind of what's going on there. But what do we do with this notion of testing? What do we know, do with this notion of testing? One of the things we see with testing is this. One of the mistakes we make with Scripture when it comes to testing is this. We make the mistake of assuming that the testing of Abraham was for Abraham's benefit. And let me tell you, that's not the case because if this testing, I'm sorry, we make the mistake of assuming that was for God's benefit. That God tested Abraham to know what Abraham got, so that God knew what Abraham had. That God tested him because God wanted to see what Abraham passed the test. God wanted to see what Abraham fulfilled. God wanted to see if Abraham could do it. The mistake with that, y'all, is that means that God doesn't know what Abraham's going to do. That means that God is not sovereign. That means that God is not aware. God's not in heaven going, boy, Andy, you really got me this time. Didn't see that one coming, son. Boy, Andy, you really outsmarted me. No! You think I'm smart enough to outsmart God? I'm just a guy from Boca Chitta. What do I know? Abraham was not smarter than God. And Abraham's testing was not for God's benefit. God knew what Abraham was going to do. Scripture says not a word comes to our lips that God's not aware of. Well, if the testing was not for God's benefit, then whose benefit was it for? It was for Abraham's. The testing wasn't so that God knew what he had in Abraham. It was that Abraham knew what he had in God. So let's look back on our boy's life. Three, he faced kind of three tests in his life. First, when they go from, Egypt, from the promised land with their herds down to Egypt... Abraham and Sarah cross over in Egypt, and Abraham looks at Sarah and says, hey, you're kind of pretty. It's a good start. He says, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell Pharaoh that you're my sister, okay? Now, he's still going to take you as his wife, but he won't kill me. You good with that? We, we, we good here? We good? And she goes for it. I don't think Holly's going for that one. So he does that in Egypt. By the way, he does it again in Damascus. Same thing. Same thing. They go to Damascus, and, and he tells said, hey, they're going to think you're pretty. Let's tell them you're my sister. And both times, they get kicked out of Egypt and kicked out of Damascus. Then later, when the promise is not happening fast enough, Sarah looks at Abraham and says, hey, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. We have Hagar here. Why don't you lie with her? And that'll be your offspring. 
in three other places, Abraham faced the test. And instead of trusting God, what did he do? I'm going to fix it myself. I got this. I'm going to take it into my hands. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to do it. I got this. I don't need to trust in God. I don't need to rely upon God. I don't need to wait on God. I got it. I got it. I got this one. God, you go do your stuff. I can handle this. I got it. And all three times he failed the test, didn't he? So this time, what happens? Father, where's the sacrifice? The Lord will provide. He passed the test this time because this time he trusted in God. Even though what God was asking was, as Holly said, was crazy. You know what God was asking was something he didn't understand. He trusted in God. This test wasn't for God's benefit. It was for Abraham's. And the difference this time versus the others was that this time he trusted. He trusted. And God took care of it. Y'all, God's unpredictable. I don't always know what God's going to do. I don't always understand what God's going to do. But I know I can always trust in what God is going to do. So in our lives, when God's not making sense, we aren't sure what he's doing, we aren't sure what the path is, And our thing is, let me fix this. Let me do it. I better do it. I better do it because God's not coming through. God's not going to do it. I better do this. Let's learn from Abraham. This test he passed. He passed it because of faith. And friends, in every test we face, the answer to the question is always faith. It's always trust. In our testing and our trials, may we always cling tight to Jesus. Because if he's all we got, friends, he's all we need. Let's pray.